no matter what happens, no matter what uh, trials we come upon, God, that that uh, we would just lift your name high. Uh, we would know you're in control and just rest in that. I pray that you'd speak through Michael, you'd speak through, through your word, uh, you'd speak into our hearts, God, in Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. Again, good morning. It's good to see each and every one of you here. This rainy, cool morning, sort of, I don't know, this week, there's just a hint of some breeze and some cool mornings, a hint of fall, which is nice for August because you don't get that till September late in Texas, so it's good to be here this morning. Some announcements. Um, Let's continue to pray uh, for the Allens and... uh, Beth's dad, and I'm sorry, the Allens and Mary's dad, and the Goins and Beth's dad, and then Francis's dad went to the hospital this morning, is that right? Maybe with pneumonia, so we'll lift them up as well, the events. Um, this Thursday, we are going to start uh, a prayer meeting here at the church, uh, mainly praying for kids, especially those who have kids who aren't walking with the Lord, um, but are kids in general. I don't want to uh, just as families lift up uh, those that God has entrusted to us. So if you can and are able, that's for everybody that wants to, 7 o'clock on Thursday. And as that goes on, if that time needs to be adjusted, we can do that as well. Um, also, continue to be in prayer for those who have already left to go back to college and those who will be. Uh, Sterling and Ian left a couple weeks ago, and then Sarah last week, and then Alyssa will leave this week to go off, um, so pray for them and for the parents involved in that as well, because it's hard for them as well as for the, the kids. And then just ever, the rest of the kiddos who have started back and are starting back and just that process of getting back in the routine, which at our house this week has been fun, and uh, I felt kind of out of sorts all week as people are getting up at different times, and so my schedule needs to be adjusted as well. So pray for the families uh, as we uh, transition back into new school year. We are in Colossians, have been for a while. Uh, there's an outline in the built-in if you need to follow along, and I don't know if there's any bulletins. There are some back there. If you need one, you can grab one. It won't bother me if you need to get up. You can do that. We're in Colossians chapter 3 this morning, uh, as we have been the last couple of weeks uh, in verse 18. But as I said a little while ago, I kind of feel like Linda's got some. Thanks. If you need one, raise your hand. She'll hand you one. Uh, I kind of feel like, uh, because I have been spending a lot of time just thinking and reading and praying through these two verses, that I've I've lost sight of the forest for the trees. I want to back up, make sure we're all in the same place, and then move forward as we talk about the role of wives this morning. We entitled this walk through Colossians as Don't Think Outside the Box because our goal is to to get you to live all of life in one box, so to speak, that box being the gospel, that we don't segment out our life into a hundred different categories of work and of recreation and of relationships and, and now husbands and wives and parents and kids. We don't segment our life into a thousand categories. There's just one category. And that that category is the gospel. And everything we do 
needs to be done through that lens, so to speak. So we spent a lot of time talking about that. Um, and then in, in chapter 2, Paul begins a series of warnings of how you get yourself in trouble. Um, in verse 4, he says, uh, don't be deluded by persuasive argument. In verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive through empty philosophy. Verse 16, let no one act as your judge by imposing legalistic standards on you. Verse 18, don't let someone steal your prize through spiritual pride. Look what I've done. If you did the same thing, you could be spiritual too. And then in verse 20, let, don't submit to this ascetic lifestyle that you have to beat yourself up to conquer the flesh. That's not how it works. But then he explains how it does work. He says, if you have died with Christ and if you've been raised up with Christ, which is the gospel, the death and burial and resurrection of Christ, if that's true about you, then you need to live in that reality. You really have died to sin. It's I don't know where we were. We were dead. We were dead to sin. Oh, that we, we put off those things um, that are our selfishness, our greed, those things that, that manifest themselves in selfish behavior and also in our words as we react in anger instead of respond in love. And then it says we put on, we clothe ourselves, we remind ourselves on a regular basis that those attributes that are always other-focused should be our attributes, the chief of which is love. That if, that if I'm doing things in love, which we defined as, as sacrificial action towards somebody, then, then selfishness will necessarily go away. It has to. So that's the backdrop. And then there's that white space between 17 and 18 that really shouldn't be there because all Paul is doing is saying... Now, I want to apply this to the three most important relationships that went on in that culture in that day. Husbands and wives, parents and children, slaves and masters. This idea of you being dead to sin and alive to God, this idea of putting off the selfishness and putting on love, putting on an other-focused behavior. Here's what that looks like if you're a husband or a wife. Here's what that looks like if you're a parent or a child. Here's what that looks like if you're a slave or a or a master, and we've spent the last couple of weeks talking about husbands and wives. Um, the first week we kind of gave a general overview of what marriage was, and I said that uh, marriage was a union between a man and a woman which provides mutual fulfillment through mutual sacrifice. We're going to come back to that at the end today as we talk about wives and how that, how that fits in. And then last week, I challenged the guys, husbands and, and to-be husbands one day, that your goal is, as the head of your family, the head of your wife, is not a domineering relationship, but it really looks like Jesus Christ, who, what did He do? He sacrificed Himself, His prerogatives, for God's glory and for the church, His bride's good. And so men, your job as head, as leader of, of your wife, we said, and we give a definition of what headship really is, it is... The husband bears the primary responsibility to lead the family in a God-honoring direction. 
It's not because I'm in charge, I can do whatever I want to. I can always get my way. I get to choose which restaurant we go to. It's I bear the responsibility to lead my family, to lead my wife towards God. And we gave some characteristics of that. We said that was sacrificial. That was serving. That was guiding. It was nurturing and it was cherishing. Does your wife feel valuable? Does she know that you cherish her? Are you guiding her and your family into a closer and a deeper relationship with God day in and day out? Are the decisions that you make for your own good or for the good of those around you? Again, it goes back, is it selfish or is it love? Is it other-focused? And so this morning we want to we talk about that same idea, except we're going to talk to the wives this morning. But let me remind you of, of one last thing we talked about two weeks ago. We get our worth, male and female, husbands and wives, our worth comes from the fact that we were made in the image of God. Our worth comes from the fact, not in our roles that God has set up that we play, but that we're made in His image and that He sent His Son to die for all of us, male and female, husbands and wives. That's where our worth comes from. So, this morning, uh, one verse again. Colossians chapter 3, verse 18. Paul writes, Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Let me pray and then we'll, we'll wrestle with that. Father, thank you again for this morning and for just an opportunity together as a, as a body of believers. We do ask again that you would speak to our hearts and our minds. You would give, us, uh, give me clarity of, of speech and give us understanding and keep us from distraction as we uh, think about your word this morning as we seek to apply it to our lives. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Um, it's funny, we, we talked about the guys last week and this week talk to the wives, and there's still a good chunk of this that applies to men, and so I hope you didn't take your steel-toed boots and leave them in the closet this morning. It's just the way it works out. I don't know. We need to be harder on men than women. First question, what is submission? That's the word Paul uses, wives be subject to or wives be submissive to your husbands. Um, in general, it means to, to arrange something under something else. And Paul uses a, a, what's called a voice. Sorry, I don't mean to be grammatical this morning, but we are. A voice, which is called the middle voice. We don't do that in English. Um, which basically means the subject is doing the action and the subject is a willing, active participant in the action. It's called the middle voice. Notice the first word of that verse, guys. It says, wives. This is a command to women, not a command to men doesn't say, men, put your wives in subjection, which has been part of the problem over the years, right? We talked about that last week. When there is an abuse of a role, people will come up with an alternative that they don't like. Men have felt the need, men have felt through their greed or through their own pride or through their own selfishness, the need to, to think that because I'm the head of my wife, I need to make sure she's in subjection. But that's not what that verse says. That verse says it's up to the wife to voluntarily submit herself 
to her husband. So the problem is the world doesn't like what that's looked like, and so they've come up with an alternative. There's a um, woman named uh, Elizabeth Wurzel who's uh, an author and a columnist uh, and a feminist and wrote an article in The Atlantic last month. Um, And she said that women can't claim motherhood as a job because, and her quote is, a job that anyone can do is not a job. That probably should offend some of you, not just on the surface reading, that's offensive enough, but the underlying message and what, what feminists have found themselves doing is, ironically, becoming the men they despised. Because they have now said, I don't like this, and so this is our only other option. You have to enter the workforce, and if you don't, you're against our cause. They've become the new master. Right? They, they didn't want to be told what to do, and so now they've been relegated to having to tell someone to do to fit what to do to fit their agenda. There's a better way. And God lays it out clearly for us that wives, your responsibility in Christ is to submit yourselves to your husband. Now let me give you a, a, a way of looking at that, that that may seem a little different. A definition of submission. This comes from... Uh, Kathy Keller, she's the wife of Tim Keller who preaches at Redeemer uh, Church in Manhattan. Submission is loving and encouraging the leadership a husband provides. See, that word submission has a horrible connotation in this culture. And and what what she's done is, is looked at what the Bible really says, what the woman's role is, and says, well, here's what that means in terms that may be a little more palatable for, for our culture. Because submission means, in our eyes sometimes, master-slave. It means someone telling you what to do at all times, which is not at all what Paul is talking about. Not in the word he uses and not in the tense he uses, not in the voice he uses. The woman has the responsibility to voluntarily put herself under the headship of her husband. And that's not just an action, as we've talked about before. So there's always an attitude behind what we do as a, as a believer. Right, one, of the, one of the verses that maybe you've taught your kids because you like it. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Right? Because we care about the attitude, not just the action. Right? We don't want them going off to their room grumbling, yeah, I'll clean my room. Right? Mumbling under the breath. We care about the heart issue. Well, so does God in everything. And so if, if the wife loves the fact that, that God has made her husband a leader in her family, and if the wife encourages that leadership, then, then is that not submission? Is that not doing what God has called her to do? I love the fact that God has given you a role in this marriage and I'm encouraging you through prayer and through my words and through my actions to continue to be the person that God has called you to be. Guys, wouldn't, wouldn't you love if, if your wife was encouraging that way? And that, that sounds, and I don't mean it to be just we're going to make it sound different so it's better. It is that way. 
That's what God has called us to do. And I'll, I'll spell that out a little bit more clearly in just a little bit. But that's what God has called us to do. He adds a phrase, as is fitting in the Lord. What he means by that is, is your submission appropriate? Right? This is not an unconditional submission to whatever my husband says. Obviously, if he's asking you to do something illegal or immoral, you have the biblical right to say, no, is it fitting in the Lord for me to be under your, your headship? That's why we would uh, encourage and, and counsel women who are sitting under an abusive husband to remove themselves from that situation. It's, that's not fitting to, to undergo that. It's not fitting to be forced to do something that's illegal or immoral. The third thing that I want to talk about comes from the end of that passage in Ephesians where we talk about husbands and wives in chapter 5. Paul ends that passage by saying, and wives, respect your husbands. Part of that loving and encouraging is, in your words do you build up your husband, and in public do you never tear him down. Respect for your husband means that he should never have to worry that when you're with your girlfriends out in public or with someone else, that, that something is going to come out of your mouth that would lower him in the eyes of someone else. He may be a scoundrel, but it's not your place to point that out to other people. In public, in general. It is your place as you love and encourage him if he's being a scoundrel, if he's involved in sin, to get help. That may be going to someone in leadership in the church and say, my husband's involved in this, I need help, right? Nothing wrong with that, but just out and gossip you should have seen what my husband did the other day. That does not show respect. And, and we are called as believers to respect those in authority over us. And as wives to respect our husbands. Next question. Why is it hard to do that? Not just for wives, but people in general, but wives specifically. We go back to the garden. Part of that curse, God said, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. There's this tension that entered in. When Eve took control and said, hey, Adam, let's do this. And when Adam acquiesced and played the passive role, introduced friction that we all live with. And so part of the reason that it's hard is our own selfishness. The flesh says... I don't really want to submit to someone else, whether it's my husband or the government or anybody else. I don't want to. I want to be selfish. Guys, it's hard because I don't want to sacrifice for someone else. I don't want to sacrifice my wife. I don't want to serve her. I want to do what's, what I think is best for me. And if that means telling her what to do or having her serve me, then I, I'm going to do that. It's hard because our flesh is selfish. It's also hard because the world tells us we shouldn't act that way. Again, the world will tell us, wives, you really don't have to listen to your husband, especially if he's a jerk. And guys, the world will tell you either one of, we get two, we get mixed messages. Either, 
A real man is a man who's strong and domineering and powerful. Or the media also presents the image of of men as weak and passive and not involved at all. So we're discouraged by the world that doesn't buy into these roles. And then finally, the marriage relationship, as we read in Ephesians 5, is meant to be a picture of Christ and the church to the world. It's a wonderful, loving, well-functioning marriage is a gospel presentation to the world, and Satan doesn't like that. And so he will use any method he can to wiggle in and cause conflict and strife and those temptations that run through her mind of, why do I have to do this? If I'm really the head of my family, God, why do I have to sacrifice for her over and over and over and over again? And so our flesh and the world and the devil will fight against a proper marriage and cause strife and conflict. And what we have to do Paul would say, is set your mind on things above, not on things that are on earth. That's where we get the power and the ability to do what God has called us to do. So how does it work? Because sometimes, in our family, things just roll along fairly smoothly. Right? My wife is brilliant. She's intelligent. She'll say, this is something that needs to happen, and I'll agree with her because she's right. right. There's not a hard decision to make. Every once in a while, I've got a bright idea. Not very often. Right? And she'll agree with me. Yeah, let's do that. But sometimes, what do you do if there's conflict? What do you do if, if we get together and we can't decide what's best? Let me give you some, some guidelines. Because it would be easy to say, oh, the man decides, end of story. Well, technically that may be true, but let me remind you of some things we've talked about. Number one, husbands. Your authority is not in place for you to please yourself. Your authority is not in place for you to please yourself. Second, this applies to the guys and and the gals. Guys, your wife is intelligent, she has wisdom, she has common sense, and she has something that most guys don't have called intuition. Allow her to bring all of those to the table and listen well. Women, bring that to the table. You use your resources that are available to you to add to the conversation. That is your responsibility to love and encourage His leadership. Is Because, right, God calls Eve what? Adam's helper. It's not just up to you. Guys, you need your wife. He gave you her for a reason. Third, wives are not to give unconditional obedience. Again, if it's something that's immoral or illegal. But then finally, the husband bears the primary responsibility. It's his, it's on his shoulders the choice that is made. Whether that's, yeah, I think you're right, dear, or no, I think we need to go this way. And what that does not include, let's say things went, let's say you decided, you know, I think my wife is right. I'm going to go with her wisdom and her intelligence. And things turned out bad. That never includes an I told you so. Or I knew we should have. 
That's always the wrong thing to say because if you knew you should have, then you should have made the decision. You bear the responsibility, guys, for the decisions that are made. That's why God came looking for Adam, not Eve. Ultimately, it's on your shoulders the decision is made, but are you always looking out for her best interest? The final question is, why can we do that? What's interesting is, for both the husbands and the wives, Christ is our example. For both the husbands and the wives, Christ is our example. Guys, Christ is your example because being in the form of God, Paul says in Philippians, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He gave it up. As head of your family, are you willing to to always give up your prerogatives, your rights, and let your wife have her way if it's something that's not of grand spiritual nature? What if you let your wife choose every single time where you went to eat? What if you let your wife choose every single time if something was going to be, probably because she knows better, something redecorated. That's why you should do that. But, But if not... What if you let her choose every single time because you're sacrificing your rights for something she wants? Because in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter what color the carpet is or what color the dishes are or what color the blinds are. What if she gets her way every single time? Is that a bad thing? But that's risky. she, She might begin taking advantage of my kindness. Yeah, she might. And the church might ignore the fact that Christ gave His life. Right? Whenever, we, whenever we fit into the roles that God has called us to, there is a risk that someone will take advantage of us. Wives, as you submit to the headship of your husband in everything, Paul says, isn't there a risk that, that he might take advantage of you? Yeah, there is. Isn't there a risk that he might start to become domineering if you always say, I trust your, your decisions? Yeah, there is. That's right. But Christ is the example, guys, for you because He sacrificed. Christ is the example for you, ladies, because being fully God, He submitted to the Father's will. Even to the point of death on a cross. He said in the garden, not my will, but yours be done. Is there another way? Hey, God, I'm just as smart as you, right? In, in a weird sort of way, because I'm fully God. Can I make the same decisions? Can I, can't we do it a different way? But not my will, but yours. What's beautiful about the marriage relationship is that we portray the gospel of a God who loves and serves and sacrifices for the sake of someone else. Husbands get to do that and wives get to do that. But if I never get my way... But notice, we know the end of the story, right? Christ sacrificed. Christ gave up everything as God and as Son, as, in one sense, the head and as the submissor 
That's not a word, is it? What's the word? It is now. And what happened? He got everything back. One day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Which brings us back to that definition we talked about at the beginning of what marriage is. It's a union between a man and a woman which provides mutual fulfillment through mutual sacrifice. If it functions properly and I give and she gives, then we both get. See, God's economy doesn't work the way the world's economy works. We can both give and give and give and give and be completely fulfilled and satisfied in that marriage. And that's what God is calling us to do. When the world sees a husband sacrificing for his wife and loving her, and when the world sees a wife loving and encouraging his leadership and his headship, that presents the gospel. And people say, why do you do that? How does that work? Are you even happy? And you get to say, oh, let me tell you about joy in our marriage. Let me tell you what that looks like. Let me tell you why I can do that. Because there was... There was someone who acted just like my husband, but perfectly. He was fully God and he, he came to earth as man. And even though he was fully God, he sacrificed his life. Even though I didn't want anything to do with him. Even though I spurned him and denied him and rejected him. He chose to still die for me. And because He did that for me, I can do that for my spouse. In fact, because He did that for me, He has, he has promised that He would indwell me with His presence, which He calls the Holy Spirit, and empower me to do it just like He did it. That's our call and that's our challenge as husbands and wives, as those of you high school, junior high, as you, as you think towards the future, am I developing those characteristics now of other-focused life? So that when I get married, if that happens, <clears throat> I can step into that role, whatever role that is, already being used to being used, already being used to sacrificing, already being used to giving of myself to other people. And may smooth out some of the rockiness of, of life and marriage. So ladies, as you go out this week, <clears throat> would you spend some time with God praying and thanking, God, do I love my husband's leadership? Irrespective of whether you think it's a good leadership. And am I encouraging him to grow in his relationship with God and as the head of my family? And then ask God to help you to become the wife that, that he has called you to be. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this morning. And uh, God, we thank you for just an opportunity to, uh, to look at your word and to see truth. Pray that you would encourage all of us in this room <clears throat> to model you as we live out lives um, that are sacrificial for the ones we love, uh, especially those of us uh, who are husbands and those of us who are wives. May we 
uh, present the gospel not only to our kids as we love each other, but to the world at large. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.